reveals himself to his brothers every week, every year in this week's parsha. My mother-in-law cries. My mother-in-law is a very sensitive person. She reads the parshios. Did my wife tell you? Yeah, it's so funny. I'm like, oh, yeah. She uh, she says she reads the pasuk on Yosef Avichai, and she just breaks down crying. Please, and. Um, And a fascinating thing that we all grew up learning, but maybe we missed uh, an interesting point here, is we know that Yosef sends his brothers back to his father, tell my father that I'm alive. Yaakov doesn't believe them. And then it says, Vayar es ha'agalos asher shalach Yosef. He sees the chariots, the wagons that Yosef sent. Laseis oso v'techiruach Yaakov Avinu. And this revived the spirit of Yaakov Avinu. So we all knew, growing up, what did we learn? We learned what Rashi says, that these agalot were a reference to the sugya of Egla Rufa, which was the last sugya that... Yaakov taught Yosef before he went down to Mitzrayim. That's what we all learned growing up. But then, when you look, just a couple of psukim later, fascinating thing, they go down to Mitzrayim, Give me a moment. Hang on one second. I just want to quote it from the actual sukkim. Ah, Vayakom Yaakov mi be'er shava, Vayisu b'nei Yisrael es Yaakov avim, ve'es tapam ve'es neshayim. Ba'agalot, now they go down to Mitzrayim in these chariots. What would we have expected the Pasuk to say? Asher Shalach, that was sent by? Yosef. Very good. Where would you have known that from? Where would you have known that from? Because just a couple of Sukkim earlier, what do we know? Who sent the 
Who sent the Agalot? Yosef sent the Agalot. But how do we know that they were the same chariots? Well, the Torah tells us, Asher Shalach Paral, Lases Oso. Now, the chariots that they actually went down to Mitzrayim in were not the chariots that Yosef sent. And the Zohar HaKadosh recognizes this. And the Zohar says, as we'll see in a moment, that actually, not only did Yosef send Agalot, chariots down to Yaakov, Paro did as well. Our first question for the night is going to be, what's the significance of both sets of chariots being sent down, what message was in those chariots, and why did that chariot of Yosef, and not the chariot of Paro, why was that the chariot that inspired Yaakov Avinu? Another question, just before we get started. Yaakov Avinu was hesitant to go down to Mitzrayim. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaks to him and says a very strange thing. Anochi ered imcha mitzrayma. Anochi alcha gamalo. V'yosef yosef yado aleinecha. The Torah tells us, I am God your father, don't be afraid of going down to Egypt, I'll make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Mitzrayim and I will also bring you up out of Mitzrayim. And Yosef will place his hand on your eyes. Very cryptic words. What does that mean? Yosef will place his hand on your eyes. Why is that? First of all, what does that mean? And second of all, why is that important to Yaakov Avinu? There's an amazing Kedushas Levi on this Pasuk. Are we missing chairs? Do we not have enough chairs for people? I apologize. There's a, there's a chair over here in the front. There's one chair over here in the front. There's an amazing Kedushas Levi. The Kedushas Levi explains that what Hashem was communicating to Yaakov Avinu is he should not be worried about going down into Mitzrayim because eventually there will be a geula. And the Kedushas Levi says here that what inspired Yaakov Avinu was not the Agalot, but specifically the Igulim. What are the Igulim of an Agala? The wheels. The Igul is what Yaakov saw. And here the Kedushas Levi says a very strange thing that needs to be understood. The Kedushas Levi says, the Igul, the circle that Yaakov Avinu saw, that inspired him, says, just like there'll be an exile, there will also be a redemption. There's a circle. Exile, redemption. And the Kedushas Levi says something that at first glance doesn't make, seem to make any sense. He says, the cause of something is always circular. The cause of something is always circular. What does that mean? There's two movements in this world. Everybody in this room is aware of these movements, though very often we do not pay attention to these movements. But everyone in this room is aware of these two movements. 
There is a movement from the side of Kedusha, and there is a movement from the side of Tumah. Let's speak about the movement from the side of Tumah first. When we look at the natural world, the natural world has a movement. But the movement is the cycle, the circle of nature. And so we can become accustomed in this world to falling for the trap of nature. The trap of nature is no one is running this world. The sun goes up, the sun comes down. Winter, spring, summer, fall. It's a circle, it's a cycle. It repeats itself over and over again. And the challenge of the circle of nature is that it appears to hide Hashem. Person could be very logical and say in this world, I deny the existence of God. On the other hand, there is the circle of a Jew. The circle of a Jew says, and this is a very deep thing, so please lock in, because this idea is a very sophisticated idea. The circle of a Jew says there is no beginning and end. And what we've been trained to think of as a beginning and an end is actually not a beginning and an end. It's a circle. So instead of thinking about exile and redemption as a line, this is the way we are taught to think of it, which is wrong. We think Galus leads to Geula. Is that not the way you girls grew up with it? We start here by Galus, and it leads to Geula. This is wrong. This is what the Kedushas Levi means. Galus and Geula is a circle. And Galus in the circle is the same exact point as Geula in the circle. What appears to be a movement away from Hashem is actually a movement towards Hashem, which is a fascinating way of thinking about it. In other words, we our whole lives thought of it like this. Gullus is bad, but don't worry, because one day Gullus will be good. That's wrong. Gullus, if you see Gullus and Gula as the same exact point in the circle, then is Gullus bad? Gullus is a movement towards Geula. The circle of Gullus and Geula is one circle. The cause of something, this is what the Kedushas Levi means, is always circular. So we make the mistake of thinking, I'll explain it a little bit clearer in a moment, I know it's not clear yet, I can tell by the uh, very obvious perplexed look on your face, which I appreciate and admire that form of communication. <laughs> I was, I was, you have certain people whenever you're giving a share, and like you say something, and they go. <laughs> I, I sometimes want to look back at them and go, <laughs> like, like, let's just talk like that the entire time. No, but I do appreciate it, yeah? It means a lot to me. Am I embarrassing you? Yes, and it's also to do that. I apologize. I have a friend who, who does that when he's giving share. He goes, Am I embarrassing you? And I go, Yes. And he goes, Okay, good. Now I know what to do for next time. The, um, it's the wrong thing. Gullus and Gaula could be thought of like this, and I think this is the correct way of thinking about it. Sometimes, in order to arrive at a deeper truth, you need to excavate 
through the layers of falsehood. But in the process of excavation, there's a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. There's often a movement away from the truth, which is a superficial understanding because it's actually a movement towards the truth. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. Let's say you have a girl who is struggling with her davening. Let's say in high school, she davened. She was a davener in high school. When I say she was a davener in high school, I mean she showed up and said the words. Then she comes to seminary. I don't know if any of you have struggled with this this year. I'm assuming yes. Yeah, at least some of you. Then she comes to seminary, and this is what it sounds like, right? It's so weird. I literally did not miss davening for like all of 11th and 12th grade. I've missed davening for like weeks in a row here. I thought I was supposed to come to Eretz Yisrael, and I thought I was supposed to be more inspired by my davening, not less so. And there's a distance that you feel. So in that moment, how would you understand your movement right there? You would say, I'm right now in Gos. But actually it's not true. That entire piece of yourself that sort of explores your relationship with davening often moves away from davening in order to move towards davening. So let's say you have a guy that comes into my office or a girl that comes and she says, Berg, I haven't been davening. Okay, what's that been like for you? Yeah, I don't really feel good about it. Okay, so what's next? I think I really want to get back into it, but I want to get back into it in a way that's much more real. I want to get back into it in a way that it doesn't leave me. So what changed? It turned out that the entire time that she wasn't davening, what was really occurring? She was excavating and exploring what it's like to be a person that doesn't daven. And when she got to the bottom of that truth, what did she discover? I really want to daven. Now, did she know that beforehand? No. Because beforehand she was davening. So since she was davening, she wasn't in the truth of her davening. You understand the problem? Yeah. We have this all the time in our performance of mitzvahs. We do things, right? Surface level. Sometimes we need to stop doing them to appreciate how much we're actually like deeply invested in this. Like, for example, let's say you have Chas Shalom, a couple that has a huge blow-up fight. And they don't know how to recover from that fight. You ever, uh, heard, you've heard of people like this? And they, they just, like at some point, there's strangers living in the same house. So in that moment, one of two things will happen. Either the relationship is over, or the relationship has just begun. Sometimes, the greatest thing that happens to a relationship is the destruction of that relationship. Because when you get to the core and you have two people living in the same house and they're total strangers, totally minutak, totally separated from each other, what do they discover? I hate living like this. The thing that I want most is to be so deeply connected to you. The pain that you caused me is only because of the love that I have for you. If I didn't care about you, you couldn't hurt me. So the worst thing that can happen in a marriage is when you just don't care anymore. As long as you're upset, what does that tell you? I'm here. I'm invested in this relationship. So what appears to be a movement away from the relationship actually is a movement towards the relationship. Did I do a decent job of explaining it? Did I get that? Does that make more sense? Yeah? This is the difference between the line 
and the circle. In the line, there's Gullus, and this is terrible. And maybe one day it'll culminate in Geula. But what if it doesn't? That's not so good. What is a Kaddish Baruch Hu telling, or I should say, what is Yosef telling Yaakov by sending down those Agalot? He's saying to him, this circle is Gullus Geula together. So what appears to be a descent down to Mitzrayim is not a descent. What is it? It's an ascent. Or a, a great way of putting this, and this is my, uh, one of my Talmidim said this to me, I, I love this, this phrase, you ready for it? You're falling upwards. Oh. It's such a cool way of expressing that concept. Sometimes we think to ourselves like, oh man, Rebbe, you can't imagine what I just did. You know we all have that line, remember that line that you, you promised yourself you would never cross? Remember you were in 8th grade and you said, I was just choosing 8th grade randomly, right? It's totally randomly. Remember you were in 8th grade and you said, okay, I will, I'll never do that. And remember the summer after 10th grade when you crossed that line? I'm just choosing summer after 10th grade randomly, right? Remember when you crossed that line for the first time? A little too close to home? Yeah? Yes. That first time that you cross that line, you think to yourself, it's irreparable. I can't come back from that. It's over now, right? The truth is, when you cross that line that you said to yourself you'll never cross, that's when you discover how much this actually means to you. So I think I told this story once before, but it bears repeating. One of my favorite all-time stories in Mavasaret, a guy came to me, and he was <coughs> devastated, crying, bawling. He said, I, I, I want so badly to like really get into my Yiddishkeit. I, I want to have and I want to learn. I can't. So I said to him, why not? And he goes, I, I, I can't. I'm embarrassed to tell you. I said, it's okay. I won't judge you. Just tell me what, what happened. He said, I'm going to tell you a secret. It's such an embarrassing secret. In high school, I wanted to be a Rebbe. I'm like, that is a terrible secret. Don't tell that to anyone. That's like <laughs> the worst thing you could be. He's like, no, really, Rebbe. Like, in my heart of hearts, I knew I wanted to be a Rebbe. And then, I won't tell you what Avera was, doesn't matter. He's like, I crossed a line that I know after you cross that line, you can't be a Rebbe. You just can't be. I'll tell you what he, I'll tell you what he did. Should I tell you what he did? Yeah. Yeah. He ate not kosher food. He went to Burger King. He ate not kosher food. That's a, that's a serious Avera. He ate not kosher food. So he said, I know for a fact that none of my Rebbeim ever did that. So I can't. I can't become a Rebbe. So in the course of that conversation, I said to him, first of all, that's wrong. Like, that's, just, that's not true. Like, you have no idea who your Rebbeim were, and that's okay. You're not supposed to know, right? Um, I'm not incriminating myself. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, you're not, it, like, it doesn't matter. The, uh, it's like one of my favorite things. And like, Talmidim come back from like someplace in Israel, Modian, and they uh, and they go, Rebbe, I met your I met your friend who was your roommate in Vaseret, and he said, send Matt my regards, and I'm like, okay, like it, it was important for him to let you know that I used to be Matt Berg, right? Like, and that's okay, I love him dearly, right? He's an amazing friend. But some people we have a need, we have to, like we have to let him know, like you should know, your Rebbe wasn't always so from. It's, it's okay, it's to say there. So first of all, he was wrong. But second of all, I think this is the more important point, do you see how badly you want this? Like, you're devastated by this. And the fact that you're devastated could be exactly what you need 
in order to get to where you want to go. The problem is that most of us have it completely backwards. We say to ourselves, since I'm devastated by it, I can't recover. No, the devastation is the recovery. The gullus is the ge'ula. When we speak about going down to the Mitzrayim in our lives, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We had to go down to Mitzrayim to discover how, how real and important this was for us. People that say like, well, the bad thing usually is followed by the good thing. Yeah, but that's not like, that's such an elementary way of express, expressing that concept. It's not that it just randomly followed it. It's, it comes out from it because it was always it. Does that make sense? Yeah. We, we, we all have this in our life. And by the way, you know this for sure. Avram Avinu, right? He gets the bris made out of Sarim. He's making a covenant with God. This is the proposal. You and me forever, right? What does God say in that proposal? By the way, I'm going to sell your children down to slaves in Egypt. That's not a great proposal. Imagine if a guy got down on one knee. I love this. Imagine, I want you to picture your, your chasm. Long payas. <laughs> thick beard. Chillin' stains from two, from two weeks beforehand. Everybody's dream. Shlimey fafel. This is what we're... This is... The type of guy that has a pastrami on rye in his car. Just waiting, you know? Just in case, yeah? Say a mice of reprival to Hatasha Bracha. I don't know, it doesn't matter. Anyway, it's a good pastrami on rye mice. Ask your, uh, ask your family about the pastrami on rye mice. Anyway, imagine this guy, he takes you to the most romantic place in the world. Fifth Avenue in Borough Park. <laughs> he gets down on one knee in front of, uh, I don't know, Kosher Delight, whatever it is. Yeah. It goes down. It goes down. Yeah. Oh, another Corona tragedy. And uh, full moon, beautiful. He gets down on one knee and he looks and he says, do you want to really suffer with me? <laughs> like for eternity. Like forever. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really hard. Nobody's going to say yes to that proposal. HaKadosh <laughs> Baruch Hu comes to Avram Vinu, Brisbane of Zarm, and he says, your children are going to be slaves in Egypt. 400 years. Who says yes to that? If I'm Avram Avinu, I go, wait, let's slow down a bit. I'm into the whole giving the Torah thing. I love the Eretz Yisrael thing. I'm with you on that. Just, can we just unpack a little bit? I'll, I'll use my therapeutic language. Can we unpack this 400 years of slavery thing? Do you mean like... No, no. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu Klaris, and the Korah Barzal. Like, this is going to be the roughest, most intense pain that anyone has ever experienced. Your children will fall to the lowest possible level. And Avram goes, perfect. That's what we're looking for. That's a relationship. You know, now we're talking. What's the shot? The Territ says Avram Avinu wasn't scared of Gullus. He knew exactly what Gullus was. Gullus is not a punishment. Gullus is not a punishment. What, what brings on Gullus might be because of the sins that we've done. But as a result of Gullus, and embedded within exile is redemption itself. That's a very deep concept. There are two Merkavas in this world. There are two chariots. There's the Merkava Shlema, which we will have in the times of Mashiach and Olam Abba, a complete chariot, which is a representation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. And the gematria of Merkava Shlema is the same gematria as Avram Yitzchak Yaakov David. Because the tzaddikim, what they do in this world, is they reveal the completion of Hashem's name. So that when you look at this world, what do you see? You see the, the godly circle. 
recognizing that everything is its own starting point. That Golis is Geula. There's also a Merkava Tmeya. There's also an impure Merkava. An impure Merkava is represented by the forces of Mitzrayim. That's why the Gala Muko says that the Gematria of Merkava Tmeya is the same Gematria as Kelevra, as a bad dog. And we know that the Malach HaMavis in Makis Bechoros is referred to as what, girls? As a dog. That, that, the, that the dog will not wet its tongue on any Jewish person, on any Jewish animal. To be able to tell the difference between a Jew and an Egyptian. It's also the same gematria as Baal which is the Egyptian god, the Sphinx. It's the final deity that they have. That's what they're holding on to. These are the two Merkavas in this world. These are the two movements in this world. Yavan, we just finished the Yantav of Hanukkah, but we all know that we didn't finish it, right? Because Chassam Sofer says that why do we have eight days of Hanukkah? We should only have seven, because the first night wasn't a miracle. What does Chassam Sofer say? Because we need to make sure that it goes all the way into Teves. If we only had seven nights of Hanukkah, it would st- there could be a year where it would stop at Rosh Chodesh. We need to take the lights all the way into Teves. Yavan is the same gematria as Galgal. Yavan is the same gematria as a circle, as a wheel on a chariot. But Yavan comes and says what? Look at nature. There is no God. But what does a Jew say? A Jew says the same gematria as Galgal, the same gematria of Yavan, is also Elokecha. We see in the nature of this world, we see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the depth of what's going on. So now we understand. Yosef HaTzadik sends Agalot. What does Paro do? Paro says, if Yosef's sending Agalot, then I have to send competing chariots. And Yaakov is inspired by whose chariots? He's inspired by Yosef's chariots. Because what do Yosef's chariots tell him? Yosef's chariots tell him, this is good. This is a circle. But which chariots do they go down to Mitzrayim in? Not Yosef's chariots. They go down in the chariots of Paro. Because that's the Avoda. The Avoda is to go into a Paro-oriented place and to maintain the strength of Yosef HaTzadik. To be able to look at the Igul, to look at the Galgal, to look at the circle of the Goyim, and to be able to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu there. This is what it means. I'm going to start to get a little bit deeper now. We only have a couple minutes left. This is what it means that Yaakov is going to have his eyes opened by Yosef. There's something that Yosef knows that Yaakov doesn't know. What could Yosef possibly know that Yaakov doesn't know? I'll tell you what. What had Yosef just been through? 22 years in Mitzrayim. Yosef had been in Mitzrayim for 22 years. What lesson did he learn when he was there? He learned one amazing lesson. The lesson was, I thought I was in Gullus the entire time. And when he finally got to that initial point, when his brothers came to Mitzrayim and he says to them, Ani Yosef, what lesson did Yosef learn? The lesson that Yosef needs to teach to Yaakov. It's not a line, Gullus and Gula. It's a circle. So listen to this. Who's Yaakov's Gilgal? Anybody know? Yaakov is a Gilgal. Another person who has the word, he has the name Yaakov in his name, and he also has a Yosef in his name. Anybody know? Akiva, Rav Akiva ben Yosef. Rav Akiva is, this, is the Gilgal Neshama, the Arizal says that Rav Akiva is the Gilgal Neshama of Yaakov Avinu. They had very interesting parallel lives. First of all, they were both shepherds for their father-in-law. They both had two wives, right? Yaakov was married to a Rachel. 
Rav Akiva was married to a Rachel. Then after Rachel passed away, Rav Akiva got married to, a, the, to the wife of Ternus Rufus, which is, correlates to Leah. There's many, many correlations. We know that who was the one who instituted Kriyashma? Yaakov instituted Kriyashma. What does Rav Akiva die with? He dies with the word Shema Yisrael Hashem Al-Kenu Hashem Echad. There's many parallels. We can't get into it right now. There's many parallels between Rav Akiva and Yaakov Avinu. But there's one distinction. If Rav Akiva is the Gilgul Neshama of Yaakov Avinu, I would have expected that Rav Akiva's son would be named Yosef. Instead, Rav Akiva's father is named Yosef. Which means that in this scenario, who's the teacher and who's the student? Yosef is the teacher and Yaakov is the student. So listen to what Rav Akiva is. Perhaps we can suggest that Rav Akiva is the Gilgul Neshama of Yaakov Avinu after he learns this lesson from Yosef HaTzadik. Look at Rav Akiva's life. What's the one thing we all know about Rav Akiva? Anytime there's tragedy, what's Rav Akiva's response to tragedy? Laughter. He laughs. Like the famous Gemara in Makos. When everyone's crying and seeing the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, what does Rav Akiva say? Yeah, but it'll be rebuilt. Yeah, but right now it's not rebuilt. Imagine you go to somebody's Leviah and you start cracking up because you're like, what do you mean? Mason. How do... Like, that's awful, no? No, the Teretz is, Rav Akiva, having learned the lesson of Yosef HaTzadik, understood that in the moment of Gullus, it's already the moment of Geula. You're already there. That's why we all know the famous Gemara. What happened to Gemara and Brachos? That Rav Akiva... He tried to go to an inn. They didn't have any room for him in an inn, so he had to stay in the forest. And what did he have in the forest? He had a candle, a donkey, and a rooster. What happened? The wind blew out the candle. The rooster got eaten by a cat. A lion ate the donkey. And what was Rikiva saying the entire time? Famous words? Everything that God does is for the best. And then it was a whole story that afterwards the army came into the town and they ended up being saved. What's the simple way of understanding it? The simple way of understanding it, and most of the girls, oh, we all learned it this way, and it's wrong. The simple way of understanding it is, it was good because in the end, it turned out good. No, that's wrong. Rav Akiva said, Kol manda avid litava avid, when? Not, not when it was good later. He said, Kol manda avid litava avid, it's good right now. That's what Rav Akiva means. Rav Akiva says, I can live in the future because the future is the present. Everything that will be in the future is embedded in this present moment. I want to tell you something very beautiful. Last night I went to a Levaya. The Levaya of Gittel Basev Halevi. When I was in high school, I had a dear friend whose name was Dunny Isroff. Dunny Isroff's mother worked in our high school. She was a teacher in our high school. Dunny's dad was a really good guy. He was a podiatrist. He actually helped my wife when we were still living in America. She had a bad podiatrist, and Dr. Isroff helped her. And Dunny's grandfather, Mr. Isaroff, worked in our school. He was a teacher in our school, and he loved the boys. The most gentle man perhaps I ever met. He set up breakfast every morning for us. It was a real, it wasn't an institution. It wasn't, it wasn't yet like a uh, built-up organization. It was just like a couple of families running a school. And the Isaroff family was one of the big families of our school. Mr. Isaroff passed away a number of years ago. And his wife passed away on Zos Hanukkah. 
And the Leviah was last night in Eretz Yisrael, in Eretz Achayim, in Beit Shemesh. And Dani is an old friend. The Israfs were an important family for us growing up. And I wanted to pay my respects. You know, it's hard, especially today you're coming from Eretz Yisrael. The family is not able to come in to bury a grandmother. That's a very painful thing. I myself miss my grandmother's Leviah because of Corona. So I decided I wanted to go to the funeral to be there for the family. But it turned out that I went, not for the wrong reasons, Chas Shalom, but I went not knowing that I was going to be at one of the most inspiring funerals I have ever gone to. And I'll share with you the story that was told last night by her son, Dr. Israf. Gittel Bazev Halevi was born pre-war, Satmer Chassid, family, it was a very close family, there were six children, she was the oldest of six children, she was a little mother herself. Dr. Israf described her youth as an idyllic time, no TV, no radio, life was centered around Yamim Tovim, family, Shabbos, and unfortunately, the Nazis, Yamach Shemam V'Zichram, came and uh, she was taken away from her family to Auschwitz. And in Auschwitz, she met the butcher, Mengele Yamach Shemam V'Zichram. And Mengele looked at her father and said, to the right, he's going to labor. He looked at the mother to the left, and we all know what the left meant. He looked at the oldest daughter, Gittel Bazev Halevi, to the right with your father. The rest of the family was sent to the left. This young girl did not want to be separated from her family. She didn't know what it meant to the left, to the right. Nobody told them. So she jumps out of the line. And she tries to be on the other side. And Mengele himself grabs her says, you go where I tell you to go. And her mother starts saying, you don't understand, she's a sick girl, she's anemic, she has headaches. And Mengele literally didn't listen to a word the mother said, and miraculously threw her back on the other side of the line. When she got to Auschwitz, she was told from the people that were there that everybody that wasn't there in the labor camp was being burned in the crematoria. And she refused to believe it until she was separating out the clothing from all of the yidden that were burned in the crematoria, and she found the clothing that her mother had made for her siblings, for Yom Tif. And then she realized it was just her and her dad. And she pushed through in Auschwitz. She pushed through because she said, I have to live, I have a father, I have to take care of my father. At some point they were separated, and somehow she made it through Auschwitz. She goes back to her hometown. Dr. Isarov described it as like Hiroshima and Nagasaki after the atom bomb. There was nothing left of their old lives. It was like, did we really grow up here? And in that point she found out that her father didn't make it through the Holocaust. She's a 14-year-old girl, alone in the world. She made it to America. 
She married Mr. Israf, who was an amazing husband. The relationship that they had was exceptionally special. She had two children. They had children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Dr. Isserof said in the Levaya last night, as a 14-year-old girl, how did you how did you survive? Like how did you make it? We can't even imagine what that means. To lose one loved one is tragic. To lose several is beyond anything we could imagine. To be 14 and alone in the world because the Nazis took everything from you? We have no idea what that means. Dr. Israel said, where did you get the strength to continue? How did you have the strength to carry on? And she said in the cattle cars, her father davened, and he said, Rabbi Shalom, please spare at least one of my children so that we can continue. And I was the answer to his prayer. So I carried that with me in my entire life, and I said, I have to be the answer to my father's tefillah. At her 90th birthday party two years ago, one of Dunny's sisters asked her grandmother, what's your answer to Hitler? And she smiled and she said, this is my answer. My beautiful children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren, this is my answer to Hitler. But what struck me most and the reason I was so deeply inspired was Dr. Isserof said about his mother, she was the happiest, most besimchadika person that you could ever imagine. And even as we were walking her to the final resting place, and I was walking next to Dr. Isserof, I said, Dr. Isserof, that was one of the most exceptional hespedim I've ever heard. He said to me, yeah, she didn't have depression. She didn't have post-traumatic stress disorder. She didn't live like that. She lived with exceptional simple. And so I thought about it. I was like, how, how? Like, how does that work? How does a person live like that? How does a person know, like, to find the strength to carry on? Where does that come from? I think I, think I would give up. I think probably most people would. And yet that generation didn't. And I think perhaps they knew the secret of the Agalot that Yosef sent to Yaakov. That they understood that that mashbir, that terrible place of destruction, was also a mashbir, a birthing stone. It was also a place of rebirth. And we owe everything we have here today to that generation. That generation of Jews that refused to give up on themselves. That generation of Jews that said, we can feel exceptional amounts of pain, but we're emotionally mature and we know how to be besimcha, and we know how to rebuild. And Adarabah, the destruction is the rebirth. I think that's what Mrs. Israf knew. B'chassam Seifer says that the Agalot stand for Ayin Gaulis, the Gaulis among the 70 nations of the world. We were always going to go into exile. The question is, will you see exile as a place of rebirth, or will you see exile as exile? And the secret to the Jewish longevity that we've had, is that we know that what appears to be destruction to everybody else is actually just the unfolding of Mashiach, which Be'ezer Hashem will come very soon.